Welcome to episode 299 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. I'm writing a new book, my third, and my goal is to show you how purpose-first design and quality online facilitation lead to intentional engagement and memorable online experiences. But before you can dive into that material, you need to feel confident and competent with Zoom basics and online facilitation techniques, which is why I've created dozens of Zoom tutorial videos and I'll be featuring some of them each week for the next few weeks. Today, I'm cautioning you that if you're not careful, your online event might flop before it even begins. For instance, getting stuck in a waiting room isn't a great way to experience the start of the event. Thankfully, there are steps you can take to make that almost impossible, and all they take is a little knowledge, a little tweaking, and a little music. It's time to take control of your waiting room, add pizzazz, and go from simply having a meeting to hosting an engaging event. That's exactly what my free before the event series will show you in six quick tutorial videos. You'll get this resource and over 30 of my most requested Zoom tutorial videos at robbysamuels.com forward slash videos. Over the next few weeks, I'll help you go from basics to expert level Zoom. I've got just what you need to master the pre-event setup, managing slides, online facilitation, and designing breakout rooms that are intentionally engaging. Are you hosting a virtual event? I'm an event design consultant and executive Zoom producer, recognized as an industry expert in the field of digital event design. Organizations like Feeding America and the California WIC Association trust me to run their online events, and I'd love to help you. Email Robbie at RobbieSamuels.com and we'll schedule a chat. Now, on to this week's interview. Today's guest has been dubbed authentic with a touch of badass. She brings her infectious energy through storytelling and powerful inspirational tips on and offline. She has served as an MC and speaker on numerous stages and is the host of Tisha Talks Live. She's the chief experience officer of Tisha Marie Enterprises, founder of the real estate company Property with Personality, a personal brand builder, founder of Social Connect, THX, and Connecting Through Community Events, and an international business mentor, and author of What Are the Odds? A Mom Shares Her Good, Bad, and What the F Moments in Life and Business. Please join me in welcoming Tisha Marie Pelletier. Thank you so much, Robbie. So great to be here with you. I'm excited about your show. Ready to get started. Awesome. All right. So as you know, this is a show about building strong networks and um, really leadership being sort of the context of that conversation. So tell me, how do you define leadership? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? You know, for me, leadership, I would say the best definition is that leadership is not about you. Leadership is about bringing people together. And I know you and I, uh, we follow a lot of the same authors. It's actually how we met in Bob Berg's The Go-Giver Community Group. And there's something that he said in his Go-Giver Leader book about being able to give leadership to other people. So even though I may say, well, I'm the leader, I don't necessarily 
say to people, you need to look up to me. I'm the one that has all the answers. I know what I'm doing. Like, it's never going to be about that. To me, it's more of a collaborative experience where we're all heading toward that same mission, vision, goal together. And we derive at that, those answers together too. So I really think that leaders, it's never going to be about the leader. It's going to be about the people that are headed there with you. So I love that he said it's about giving leadership to other people. It's not just about you owning it and telling people I'm a leader. Everybody listen to me. It's really about, you know, I'm bringing this together. We all have a common goal and I want to help us get there together. Yeah. Bob's got so many great insights and I'm thrilled that we connected through him yeah, and his community. Uh, so tell me, when did you start to first realize this idea of, well, one, it's not about me. And how do I, you know, create leadership for others? When did that start sort of fall into being something you did? How did you start sure. realizing that was your role? Sure. And I've had a lot of moments where leadership has come into my life, but the most notable, I would say the first time I stepped into that leadership role was when my son was just about two years old. And I really, I mean, we talked about networking on this podcast too, but you know, I was really struggling, Robbie, because I couldn't find my community. I was a new mom. I'd been an entrepreneur for a couple of years. I didn't want to give up the identity that I'm an entrepreneur and now I'm turned mom. And I really went on this soul search of where do I fit in? Do I go to entrepreneurial groups only? Do I go to mom's groups? <laughs> and I was really testing the waters. And it's so interesting to me because, you know, I run a networking event here in the Phoenix area. And I just remember going to a networking event and just feeling completely humiliated. You ever been to those groups where you really are the number? They're not really there. You're not a person. You're just a number in the seat. And it's so assembly line feeling. Get up, say your 30-second commercial, sit down, next person. And nobody cares. And nobody, everybody is just there and just trying to pass the time. And I felt like that at one point where I'm sitting in the middle of the room and they said, you know, it's your turn. Go ahead and stand up. And I, you know, you feel just that awkward moment of where you're like, okay, my back's facing you, my back's facing you. I'm just going to get up. And I was like, I'm just going to walk to the front of the room. And I started walking to the front of the room and little did I know that they were actually timing me already. So when I turned around, I started giving my 30 second and at 15 seconds, they rang the bell, which is quite frustrating, annoying. And I was like, I thought I had 30 seconds. They're like, oh, we started counting when you started walking. And it just in front of a room, a crowded room of about 50 people, you know, so that wasn't a little bit, you know, irritating. So I was like, okay, maybe that's not for me. Not to mention it was a 7.30 a.m. meeting. (laughs) So it's hard to get there as a new mom. And so I ended up going to a mom's club here in my neighborhood thinking, okay, maybe that's my group. Maybe this is my, my tribe, my vibe, these are people. And I never felt more like I was in high school when I was at that meeting. It was very clicky. A lot of moms congregated in one area. Other moms were left out. And I just sat there watching and observing the room. And I'll never forget when they asked, what is your favorite restaurant? You know, a little icebreaker question. And every person around me answered, a place in our neighborhood, a place at the local mall. It was all chain. (laughs) I said, okay, here's my restaurant. And they were like, oh my gosh, that's great. Where is that? I'm like, it's in Tempe, like 20 minutes. (laughs) And, And I remember the lady who ran the group as I was leaving, she asked me, so what do you think? 
do you think you'll join? I can send you the membership application. And I just looked at her, Robbie, and I was like, nope, I think I'm good. In fact, I think I need to start something on my own. And it was really that just tugging at my heartstrings of, if I need this, geez, how many other mom entrepreneurs really could use this? And I started to go down this path of wanting to create this community and build it and have the right types of women where they didn't feel like they couldn't be part of the clique and the group and, and, and things. And, and, and I did, and I started it and I led, um, I led chapters all across the country for several years. I had chapter presidents. And again, it's not, this is all me. This was, we're coming together as a group for common goal. And that is to help moms and encourage them every step of the way, because being in this mom entrepreneur journey is really hard. It's really trying. You feel alone and you need a community. And that was called, that was the Connecting to Community or what was that? No, it was oh. called the Mom E-Club. Oh, so, we didn't mention. Okay, yeah, I want to put so the title I, in I here. Ran yeah. That. yeah, I ran that for about six years. I hosted several events. Yeah. Uh, I had it all across the country. So I had women all over. And one of the biggest things for me being a leader is that I get to show up. I get to show up in all of these meetings that these women are hosting because we're together, because we're this mm-hmm. community and just being a part of it and expanding my network that way. So even though I started it, I had other people that wanted to be a part of it too. Tisha Marie, you and I have so many things in common. I, mean, I know. <laughs> um, you know, uh, and, and I'm going to dig a little deeper into your history because I think sure. your, your leadership story starts even before this, but I need to comment because I have never gone to the 7.30 a.m. Uh, business meeting. I know a lot about them. Um, it's not for me uh, on a number of levels. One, that is not the time of day that I am most awake. Right. I.e., I'd like to be sleeping still. Yes. Um, and uh, and the 30s, I've been to a couple of chamber meetings that were sort of that stand up 30 seconds. And I remember like the business cards were being handed out. Like as I stood up, we were on a table. So I would stand up and give my speech and then hand my stack of business cards to the left and they'd go around, be divided around the table. But I thought if you had just passed out everyone's cards ahead of time, I could be writing notes on each card as each person spoke. By the time I get the card for a speaker, the speaker was three speakers ago. Like there was just, even that minor shift would have made it a more useful. And before that, I started chit-chatting with someone before the official exercise Uh and started to give this person my business card and was told by someone else watching us, oh, we we, we have a whole business exchange card thing. Like he was interrupting an authentic conversation, a genuine conversation, an actual like, let's have, let's continue this somewhere else after to tell me about a rote exercise <laughs> or business card collection. So, you know, I think that there's this way, way, way in which I've hosted lots of events where the activity wasn't so much something I was excited about, but I love the people. Mm-hmm. And I've also hosted events where I love the, the exercise, but the people who came were not really my people. And it took me time to realize that as much as I love Scrabble, and I did run at one point a Scrabble meetup because why mm-hmm. not? Fun. It wasn't leading to the kinds of conversations I want to be having in the world. And so you, you know, and assembly as a new dad, I was an at-home dad for the first three and a half years. Uh-huh. I joined lots of parent groups, mostly mom groups that became parent groups. So I kept showing up. Um, and I, I get you. It's like, how do you find your people? And I love that you took the effort to, to build something yourself. But I'm guessing, Tisha Marie, that 
even before having a child, even for um, being in that moment, there are times further back in your history, like what were you like on the playground? You know, I'm thinking like elementary school, high school, did you run for office? Did you organize things? Did teachers, you know, look for you to take on um, things? You know, yeah. how, how did you sort of show up in the world in those you know, early years? So I may have mentioned this to you, Robbie, that I, uh, when I was in, I would, I would date this back to junior high. I was not a girl with a lot of self-confidence. And I was a little bit on the heavier side and had an aunt, you know, really, really just, I don't know, I want to say body shame me, but it really was the fuel that I needed to start making a change in my life. Sometimes people just need to give you that tough love for you to move. Right. And I remember the first speech that I ever had to give, and it was just in one of my, I think it was in a history class and I couldn't remember anything. I had practiced so much got up there, stood in front of the class and just blank, nothing. I was just, I was just mortified. I was like, oh my gosh. And I remember trying to tie my shoe, trying to just get my memory back. And I was like, I'm so sorry. Like, and I went, I went and sat down and just really, it's like, I don't know if I can do this, you know, but something in me shifted at that time. And I think this is where the leadership started, where um, I knew that I couldn't just stay in that space because I knew there were going to be plenty of speeches. <laughs> We all know there's all these talks that you give. And I ended up putting myself through drama club. So I got involved in the drama club so that I could hone my skills for making better eye contact, using inflection in my voice, being a better memorizer, you know, being able to just eloquently give a speech and not um, like this, whatever that. And, and that really helped me to build that confidence that I think my teacher started to see it too, and started putting me in more of those responsibility leadership roles. And I remember at the end of the year, that same teacher had seen me in one of the school plays. And she's like, I'm making you the judge of our classroom. We're turning this into a court. You're the judge. You will make all the decisions. And it was just such a cool experience to have gone from that girl who had zero confidence to now being asked to lead and be someone that people respected. Um, so that was, that was, well, was just one thing. And then I'll never forget too. I'm, now I'm in high school and things are going well. I'm still in the drama club. I end up going into broadcast journalism. So I'm like the anchor girl at my high school. And I was at a, I was at a high school dance and I remember the, uh, the MC, the DJ was like, we need someone to lead the Congo line. <laughs> <laughs> and my date's like, I, and I'm, I'm like, like this excitement is coming up inside. I'm like, I think I need to leave this. And he's like, really? I'm like, I think I do. And I just raise my hand and they put the big mic on me. And I had to, you know, I had people dancing behind me, like the train and, uh, you know, wow. so what, a, just, what a transformation. So, so fun. Yeah. So I really did break out of my shell. And I think it was because I, I know myself very well and we all should but I know that if someone is going to give me that ridicule or if they're going to question me or whatever I really am going to take that as fuel and figure out how to do it and that's happened throughout my entire life my entire life like I could give you so many examples of that even in business and uh you know and I, I know not everybody is wired like that but I know for me I'm like I'm going to prove to you and to myself that I have what it takes so I do think that that's a leadership. I, I do think that that's where leaders fall, fall in into that category of 
you're not going to keep me down for too long. Just watch as I rise above and you can watch from the sidelines. Um, it reminds me, I, I often watch um, like the, the TV shows where a kid um, is singing and he's really super shy in these reality TV shows. And then, you know, the judge says, whoa, tell us a little story. And the kid's like, oh, I was bullied. And they're like, kid sings, kid's amazing. And the judge is like, oh, this will show those bullies. You're going to be famous now. <laughs> it's like, really? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. You know, like, how do you help people go from that, like, small, you know, diminished sort of personality where they're, like, holding themselves back in, in a way to, you know, really opened up to new possibilities? And it sounds like for you, the fuel is you know, just watch me. You're like, you don't think I can do that? Just watch me, you know, hold my beer kind of thing. Like, let's yeah. do this. Um, but you, but I think it's helpful for listeners to know that you didn't come out of the womb that way. Like, you know, you had a journey and you had it at a fairly early age. Junior high is complicated enough. Like, um, but to have that be the, when you start finding your voice. And then you said you went into broadcast journalism. So you were also kind of playing that role, like the judge role and then the anchor role, like these are all, it's interesting, they're, um, they're front of house roles with mm -hmm. a prescribed, like what the role does. Right. Like it's right. a very clear, like where I'm here to kind of almost facilitate the experience we're all having. Mm -hmm. It's a good way in if you're not, if you're not just like, I'm going to be the main character and start singing my heart out. Like it's a way in um, right. to kind of be more comfortable in front of people. And you touched on a word that I, I named myself. And when you, when you read my bio, I didn't say I was the chief executive officer. I said I was the chief experience officer because I want you to have an experience. Every time I'm in the room, every time I decide to run the combo line, like I want you to, to remember that experience. And so, yeah, my journey started at a young age. I told you know, I've always been asked this question, are you born with confidence? Do you get confidence? Can you lose confidence? I'm like, all of the above, all of the above. I've been in every situation, you know, and, and it is just, it is an interesting evolution of when I was younger, always wanting to be behind the scenes. I was very independent in my room, always in a book, writing poetry, never really wanting to be the face of anything to all of a sudden this shift of, I could do this, I could so do this. You know, so it's, it's, it's been a good journey. When you were, let's say 12, what did you think you were going to be when you grew up? You know, I, for some reason, like, I just remember all of these pictures that I have. And I, I it's, it's interesting because even though I wanted to be more behind the scenes, I always had a mic in my hand <laughs> in pictures, always a mic in my hand, like even at a young age. So it's just, it just is so interesting that that is what's, I mean, I have a mic right now. I'm always on a mic somewhere. And so it's, uh, I feel like that was already ingrained in me at a young age. I just need to foster it and develop it and just come out and do it. Did you know that it was going to be like, what kind of role? Like, was, was there a business connection? Was it an entrepreneurship thing? Was it like being on TV, radio, news? Yeah, it was never an entrepreneur thing for me. I think being an entrepreneur really snuck up on me. It was something that really caught me off guard, to be honest. I, I've always said I wanted to start a business, but not till I was well into my 30s. And I actually started a business when I was in my 20s mm. and started multiple businesses. 
So I think that it was just circumstances and things happening that it, it really kind of forced me to take a look at my direction in life and make a decision, make a choice. After high school, did you go off to college? I did. So in high school, I was the Red Mountain TV girl, right? Like I was, I wanted to pursue the, the, uh, the broadcast journalism route. I remember when I was a sophomore at our high school, the vice principal came into our room and she's like, I need to see Tisha right away. <laughs> I was like, what? what did they do? Oh my gosh, my God, I've never been in trouble. I've never been in trouble. And I remember her sitting me down in her office and she said, I really love your voice. I heard you on some of the RMTV things. Would you want to be our, um, our announcement reader every single morning? You'll come to the office, you'll get on the, you know, the, t- the PA and you will say the announcements. And I took it. I was like, of course, like that's such a great honor. And even at sporting events, I was always asked to to give the announcements, like share the scores and so forth. So I feel like that was always something that I was leaning toward. And when I got to Arizona State University, I went to the Walter Cronkite School. You know, they're known for broadcast journalism. I mean, Walter Cronkite himself, they named the school after. And I wanted to do that for so long. I kept telling everybody, my friends would actually call me Connie Chung. They were like, you're going to be Connie Chung. Like when you get older, my mom and dad were like, you're going to go to CNN. We just can feel it. And I just remember my senior year, you know, there's always going to be people in your life that come in for a reason. And there was one speaker that we had that really just laid it straight. I want honesty. I want someone to just be very honest with me. And she came in and said, this is what the industry is like. And she really changed my whole trajectory in that one hour. And it was long hours, breaking news, sacrificing your family, moving to small towns, starting at the bottom. Everything was centered around your job. And I've had people commend me for, at a young age, being in my early, early 20s, knowing exactly what I did and I didn't want. And for me, I already knew I wanted a family. I wanted to be there with them. I had, uh, growing up, I had two parents that were working all the time. We always had a babysitter, daycare. I knew I didn't want that for my own life. So being able to just make that transition, even though I still graduated with that degree, I went a completely different route and started getting into more business, marketing, advertising, all of those types of classes. And that that really is where I started. I had a, um, a session like that in college. I went to a conference where we learned about law school mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, what it was really like and what and what the degree could lead to. And I, at the end of the hour, realized I didn't need a law degree. <laughs> no, you know. Uh, very yeah. helpful. <laughs> <laughs> well, so here's, here's the fun twist. I always love to share this, especially when I'm up on stages, because I say, here's the girl who wanted to report the news for as many years as she could remember. Here's the girl that actually became the news and is still given all of the same opportunities that the anchor women have. And the reason I say that is because of things like podcasting and live streaming. And, you know, I was one of those people, Robbie, that if I had gone that route, I would be a hot mess. Like I can't report something super positive and turn around and talk about kids drowning in a pool. You know, I just, I just can't, like, I don't, I don't have the emotion to just turn things off and just read the teleprompter and just go about my day. Like I knew I would bring that home. I knew that would affect much more than just my mental being, but my family's, my relationships. And so I made that choice. And so I choose 
happiness. I choose to interview people I want to be around. I choose to only talk about positive things, you know, and, and it was, it was kind of an eye opener. Um, I recently emceed the American Marketing Association Spectrum Awards, and it's like their Academy Awards, if you want to call it that for the Phoenix, the Phoenix area. And they asked me last year to emcee it. They asked me this year to emcee it. And years ago, when I was actually their event chair, it was a news anchor that got to emcee it. So I felt like that was such a great win of, I didn't even have to do that. I didn't have to work my tail off at these news stations. I didn't have to go win and sacrifice my family, you know, because here I am, because I've been the news a lot of times with things I'm doing in the entrepreneurial community, they're interviewing me. And I've asked them the question, tell me about your life. Like, tell me, I'd love to know what my life would have been like. And they are so honest. And at the end, I'm like, thank God, (laughs) thank God I didn't go that path because I couldn't do it. I couldn't do the wake up at 2 a.m. to be at the station at 4 a.m. to, you know, miss my kids field trips. And I just, I couldn't do it. And then just the whole celebrity feel of being under a microscope and, and people judging me all the time with, Oh, her hair looks horrible today. Her blouse is not a good color on. Like, I just, I didn't want that in my life. Yeah. So it was, it was the smartest decision. I I wish I could go back to that speaker and thank her because she Mm -hmm. totally changed my life for the better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you got a lot of clarity very, very early in life. I mean, early twenties still feels very early in life to mm-hmm. have that kind of clarity, as you said, of, of what you wanted and didn't want. Um, and then to have a, these skills are transferable to other, you know, types of work. So it sounds like you kind of found your way into sort of the marketing business communications kind of route, but mm-hmm. you were still looking at sort of a, a sort of typical nine to five scenario at that time. How long did you work in that kind of setting? And was this corporate that you were working in? Like what was the environment and how long were you there? Yeah. So right out of college, I worked for an ad agency and it was so corporate, very corporate, you know, and, and I just got a taste. I only, I only was there for about a year and, you know, the whole thing of, we have an open door policy. Nope. Just kidding. We really don't. Hey, we're going to give you more work than your other, you know, your other teammate because you're more efficient. So we're going to pile on the work for you, give you the same amount of hours and pay you the same amount of money. Like just stuff like that where you're like, really, is this even fair? And so I ended up leaving. I went to another ad agency, a smaller boutique agency, and I really learned a lot. I really took ownership of a lot of different uh, opportunities we had, learned about project management, of course, and event management and press releases and campaigns and media and like putting commercials together and all of these things, which later suited me when I started my own ad agency or I would say a marketing firm. And so I really only lasted, I like to say the word lasted um, for about three years before I finally pulled the plug. And again, I was at a crossroads. I had a vendor that actually wanted to hire me and make me his marketing manager, which would also allow me to kind of create my own little side hustle. And when, when it was time, Robbie, he pulled the plug. He's like, sorry, no, we're not. And I was left with this work for someone, work for myself, work for someone, work for myself. And I decided, you know what? I'm going to work for myself. I'm going to take that risk. We're going to, we're going to do this. How old were you? 24. I had just gotten married. Um, the people that I left behind at the agency were at my wedding. And months later they were like, get out. (laughs) 
it just, I was treated very, very poorly when I resigned and it just showed me people's character, you know, a little bit more. Wow. Mm. That's some major life changes happening again. I mean, when you are 24, you don't think that it's young, but looking back, it's like, yeah. wow, you know, like those are major things. You're getting married, you're changing careers, you're deciding to work for yourself. Um, so you, did you have an entrepreneurial community to lean into at that time? Did you know any entrepreneurs, any family members who are entrepreneurs? Like why was entrepreneurship sort of enticing even before this moment? I you? think, I think because I, I had just gotten married and we had already planned out that we wanted to start a family years down the road. It wasn't something we started immediately. I already knew that I wanted to be that person that could be in my child's life. And I think that it made that decision for me so much easier to what have I got to lose? It's just me, my hubby and my dog, you know, and we don't have kids yet. And I can do this knowing that if anything, there's always a plan B, I can always go back to work, you know, but for right now we're going to do this and business started to take off and things. But as far as an entrepreneurial community, I was as green as they yet. I'm like, I have no idea what's out there. I don't even know how to start. I don't know what to do. I don't know any of this stuff. And I did, I leaned on the community here in Phoenix. And there was an organization called the Arizona Small Business Association. You probably have them in various, various towns and cities. And I just remember like, I'm the sponge. Teach me everything I know. Pair me with a mentor. What do I need to know about sales? What do I need to know? And I really did invest a lot of my time because I didn't have kids yet into being part of networking groups and being part of the community and learning and just doing as much as I could. So I was very invested in building the business and just uh, being a student again. Where, where did those first few clients come from? You know, it came from word of mouth, honestly. So when I was, when I was in college, I was, I love titles, right? But they gave me this crazy title. It was a startup and they, they, I would say it was before the Groupon days, like they were teaming up with restaurants and doing gift cards and things like that. And they made me their PR director. I'm like, this is so awesome. I'm a PR director and I'm still in college. <laughs> but it didn't matter. Age was just a number. And I ended up getting them on TV several times and getting them a recurring, uh, a recurring deal with one of the major stations here. And they were like, worth your weight in gold. <laughs> and so when I started my, my company, they referred clients to me. So I had a client base and then just being out and networking. Um, I definitely, I'm sure, you know, you can tell like, I'm just definitely one of those approachable, authentic, tell it like it is, you know, I love people. And I think that that really shines very brightly. So I had people that just kept my card and called me months later saying, I remember you. I liked you. I'd love for you to come in so I could help have you help me with the marketing. So Tisha Marie, it sounds like a lot of what you needed to have a successful business, um, shifting from the sort of day job mentality that you'd had previously, you had good skills, great sort of outlook on life, good mindset. What was the thing that felt sort of most challenging or felt sort of out of your comfort zone as you're making that shift? I think the hardest part is going from an employee mentality or, you know, just having the steadiness, honestly, of, of the steady pay to now it's all sporadic. Now it's sometimes you're paid, sometimes you're not. I, I remember even in that first year having to chase people for money, you know, literally, not literally, but, you know, just I'm going to small claims court, like having to submit things for people because I'm like, you didn't pay me, you owe me. We did the work. So 
you know, to me, being an entrepreneur is, is really a great teacher because you will learn so many lessons. You will fail. You will learn. You will never do that again. You will never work with clients without taking a deposit or giving them the assets <laughs> until it's paid in full, you know, just certain things like that. So, I mean, I look at college was good. This was like a crash course. Like this is real life. When did your work start to shift? Um, it sounds like early on, you might've been doing some more of this marketing piece. Is that right? And then, but sort of it's, it's shifted a, bit, a bunch. So how, how did you start to create this version of your business? I believe if you're going to be in community, you get involved with the community. If you're going to be part of an organization, you don't just show up as a member. You ask, how do I serve? How do I help? How do I belong to this community? And I remember uh, it was 2007. I was pregnant, 2008, actually. I was pregnant with my son and I took the event chair position at the American Marketing Association. So this was years ago and I got to plan all their events. I actually planned one of their biggest events, Spectrum, that I was uh, emceeing just even this past year. And with that, um, I decided I wanted to start another company. I wanted to segment things out. And so I feel like through those experiences, you start to find what you really love to do and what you want to experience, what you want to start. Um, And then I mentioned earlier about the whole mommy club. I feel like all of the experiences and all of the things that I've done have come as a result of just showing up and figuring out the next step and just being led, right? Or having that sign come to you of, okay, I'm going to do this. So at one point, you know, while I just had my my son, I had three businesses going simultaneously. I had simply put marketing, I had details event management, and then I had the mommy club. <laughs> and then in 2011, I welcomed my daughter. And so I have two kiddos. And, uh, and then I fell apart. Uh-huh. I fell apart. So Uh-oh. I truly believe a midlife crisis, we're all destined for it. I truly, truly believe that one day we're going to wake up and wonder if this is my purpose, this is my path, or if I've overstayed my welcome and now I need to move on to the next. And I meet a lot of entrepreneurs. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, but I meet a lot of entrepreneurs who I think once they've hit the challenge or they hit the goal, they're ready to exit. They're ready for the next, you know, level me up. I'm done. I can't be complacent. I want the next thing. And I, I, realize that about myself. Like I've accomplished a lot of things and now I'm like, that was good. Next. Well, one I wanted to say about your earlier comments, it sounds like you uh, work a lot with intuition mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that is um, something that all of us can start out having, but we squash it and some of us cultivate intuition. Um, and so that sounds like it also helps you understand like, both what you might be led to do next, but also this moment where you realize, like, I don't feel like this is where I want to be anymore. Right. Um, it, it, it's a really good skill to develop as an entrepreneur or as a person, period, but as an entrepreneur, because there's a way in which you can imagine almost like, oh, somebody else has designed this life and I'm just leading. Mm-hmm. But then you realize, wait, I'm the architect. Yeah. And right? it's particularly true when it's your business, right? Like you're not just saying yes to other people's whims and a job, you're the one who created the long hours. You're the one who mm-hmm. set the deadlines wrong and made the entire team work all night, <laughs> including <laughs> yourself. Like, it's really hard to accept like, oh, wait, I am I am the thing that's making this more difficult. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you hit that moment. And what 
like, how did you cope and respond to this realization that maybe your ladder has at some point been leaning on the wrong wall and mm. you got to some place that no longer felt like that was the pinnacle that you were trying to achieve? There were two scenarios and, you know, my son, um, my son was, I'd say he was about four or five. And I remember I was running my event management company and I had a partner in this and just being glued to my desk. You you felt that you don't get up, you microwaved your coffee five times, you haven't eaten anything. You're just like, you know, hammering away at the computer. My husband is home on Mondays and my son came into my office and he said, we're going to Peter Piper pizza. Like it's the equivalent of like a Chuck E. Cheese, right? Out here in Phoenix. And he said, it's Ellie's first time. Can you come? And I, oh, I get all like emotional, but I was like, I can't. I have so much work to do. I have clients depending on me. You guys have fun. Like I couldn't take 90 minutes out of my day to go and have lunch with my family. And I kind of dismissed it. But later that day, I'm, I'm tucking my son in at night and he's, he's like, we weren't even a family today. Like to be so young, four or five years old and to be that observant and to tell me how he was feeling. Oh my gosh, Bobby, like that crushed me, that crushed me. So that was the first moment where I said, all right, there's my first sign that something's got to give and I'm not in the right I'm not in alignment with where I need to be. Um, the second period, and this is where the break, <laughs> the breakdown happened, as I was sharing the the midlife crisis happening before my very eyes. I mentioned that you know, with the mommy club, I hosted all sorts of events, and I created a signature event that I ran called the Mom Entrepreneur of the Year Celebration, and I for five years successfully led it here in Arizona, and I had this bigger goal to take it across the nation. California was my first stop. I'm in Huntington beach. I planned the event the weekend, right before mother's day. And so I'm, I'm moving through all the motions and I've got all this done and I've got to be there. And, you know, my mom's with me my business partner, my, you know, we're all there. And, uh, it happens to be the same weekend as my son who's in first grade at the time, making the state chess championship. The wicked wow. smart kid, wicked smart kid. And I'm here at this event leading it, being around women who are not pleasant, let's say, just a little catty, I'll be honest. And just going, why am I here? As my husband is giving me a play-by-play of, he just checked me. He just got this. He just got this. Like he's moving up the ranks. He's moving up the ranks. And my son, first time ever being at the state chess championship at what, five or six years old, took 11th at state and I missed it. I missed it because I put my needs, my event, my wanting to serve these women over my own son. It's not like I could have canceled my event, but you get where I'm coming from, where I think that that was a very big eye opener. And before I left Huntington beach, I was, you know, strolling through like the downtown area and I went into this bookstore and completely lost it. Just bawling my eyes out. And I ended up buying this book when I saw it, it said, love who you are. And it was just this little book with all these affirmations. And I, I just, I grabbed it. And that was the start of my new journey. If you want to call it that, that was where I stopped everything. I took a couple of weeks. I binge watched some shows on Netflix. I ate a lot of chocolate 
And, um, and then I called a coach to help me. How old were you at this point? I had to have been that. So that was 2016. So about six years ago. Yeah. So, I mean, man, there's so many lessons that we can pull from this story. Um, you know, it's sort of that, that sort of running joke about entrepreneurs, like they leave their 50 hour work weeks to become an entrepreneur so they can work 80 hour work weeks, <laughs> right. you know, cause freedom, freedom. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, for me, 2020 was the moment where my business really took off and it was a totally new business from what I had done prior to the pandemic. Uh-huh. And I was working for a company because I didn't expect to have a business at all. And I was thrilled to have any kind of thing to do. But when my business part took off, like I worked constantly. It was like every day after April, except for Father's Day and Thanksgiving. And it wasn't sustainable. It was a moment in time. But there, you know, it was, it was almost a hard habit to break. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, going to 2021 and being busy, being busy, right? Like, that's not the goal, folks. The folks right. not being busy, being too busy to do X, Y, Z, like being busy to like, it should be like we design our own lives. Like we exactly. are in control of, of what we want to do with our time. And if you say yes to too many things, that becomes harder to do because then you are serving other people as opposed to yourself. And it's not like you hit that moment and you had to, you know, okay, so you got through the ice cream and the, and the chocolate and the binge watching or whatever it was. Um, what was the new plan? How, do, how did you sort of reshape the work-life integration in a way that felt good again? Yeah. Luckily, I have some really great mentors and friends that asked me some very hard questions. And I always ask the same questions. Like for me, it's paying it forward and passing it on. And I remember my business coach, I literally, she'd hand me the box of tissues every time I came to her because I was just in this place where I wasn't sure what's the next move if I should become an entrepreneur, stay an entrepreneur, if any of that. And she was actually the one who encouraged me, Robbie, to build a brand, to build my personal brand. And I remember just being so scared, so uncomfortable, telling her no for months. But one thing that she said to me that really made the most sense is as you build your brand, realize what it's doing for you. It's giving you time back. It's allowing you to figure out who you are you know, to really dive in and do the self-discovery that so many of us have not yet done because we're so fixated on working with clients and never on ourselves. And so it was the greatest blessing that she gave me and it forced me, it forced me to start moving in that direction and figuring things out. So whereas before I used to say, I only work with women, I only work with moms. Now I'm starting to shift to, oh, but I actually do like working with men and women. Perhaps I could try that. Oh, perhaps I don't need to only lead a women's group. Perhaps I can start creating social connect Phoenix. Like it just gave me so much more, you know, control over what I wanted to do. And the other thing is, I remember a friend of mine calling me the Jill of all trades. And I just was like, that's so nice. He's like, uh, no, it's not a compliment. It's not a compliment. And so that was a really good gut check. And another friend saying, Run the litmus test. If you really want to do something, put it through that, will it help me get to my goal faster? 
If you ask yourself, what are two things you always want to be doing because that's what lights your soul on fire? What is it? And immediately I answered speaking, mentoring. Those are my passions. That's my, what I love. I love helping and serving other people. So she was saying to me, she's like, if it doesn't pass the test and if it's not going to help you in any of those two areas that you really enjoy, say no, say no. And I've had just some brilliant people in my life that, you know, so many of these Facebook ads that we see, you know, on, on Facebook, Instagram are all about, you could become the next billionaire. You could have this lifestyle. And I'm always like, what am I giving up to get to that lifestyle? Do I really need $10 million a month? Okay. Sounds nice. But what stresses am I going to have with that? Am I going to be able to be with my family? Like all of those things come into play And it was so refreshing when one day I just asked my husband, I'm like, what's the number? And he gave me a number and I'm like, that's my number. And he's like, see, you're stressing out over nothing. You don't need to be that person, Tish. We're good. And I'm like, oh, thank God. Because so many people put that pressure on us and they want you to have their lifestyle. And I remember one of my business coaches that I actually no longer work for or work with, she's like, don't you want to live in Bali on the beach and have a personal trainer named Jacques? I'm like, no. For you maybe, but not for me. This is so helpful. And I, I clearly remember a conversation I had um, trying to help a friend who was feeling overwhelmed with her schedule mm-hmm. and realizing while I was helping her that this was all the things I needed to hear. And I had at that time, someone said, as I would sort of like, like jokingly be like, oh, my schedule, my schedule, this and that. And someone like right around that time, point blank looked at me and said, Robbie, you're the arbiter of your own schedule. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, yes, that's true. <laughs> and it was such a lesson to like figure out how, how to first say no to things, but then eventually you start saying no to things you actually want to do. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's harder and harder and harder, but it's that discipline. So it sounds like you're really learned to refine that. And then the other piece you said about like the, the kind of lifestyle and the, the revenue goals people place on us mm-hmm. and like culturally what that feels like. I, I, I hired a, a person to help me do some marketing pieces and I left uh, that because mm-hmm. at some point he said, you do these things. And, and I was like, I don't, I don't really want to do that. And he said, but you know, that, you, you know, you, you got to get to a million dollars. And I was like, I don't, I don't have to get to a million dollars a year. Like mm-hmm. what? And mm-hmm. I realized that like his vision for me was not my vision at all. And I was like, no, because first of all, you don't actually walk home with a million dollars. That's revenue your expenses go up, <laughs> your, right. your stress level goes up, your, you know, your everyone lean, like, I'm like, I, I want to be happy with my, where my numbers right. are. Uh-huh. And so some people get really excited by that building bigger, but sometimes it's hard to like, hold on to a less audacious goal mm-hmm. that um, for you is still audacious, but for other people, it's like, oh, you're not striving. It's like, oh no, no, I have other priorities. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and you got to ask yourself because so many people will, they will tell you that you're playing too small in Mm -hmm. whose eyes, in whose eyes, because the last time I checked, my health is good. My family's good. My faith is good. I get to do all the things that I want to do in the day and then weave in what I need to do. And still I'm okay. You know, so that's, that's the thing I always want to question people because I know a lot of people that are making the money, Robbie, and they are miserable. Their family doesn't like them. They're in the brink of divorce. Right. It's like, no, check yourself first before you come to me and tell me that I'm playing too small. I have two other things I want to make sure we talk yeah. about the time we have. This has been so fascinating to sort of 
deconstruct your life at this point. <laughs> One is, you know, a lot of people and I hear through your story how people were part of your process, mm-hmm. good and bad, but people were influencing you, guiding you. I love that you hired a coach. I think is always, you mm-hmm. know, lean into having an outside expert who's, who's not like the results you take don't actually impact their life. So they can give you honest feedback, Yes, um, yes. which is different than asking a friend. Yeah, um, but really sure. helpful. But when you think about your bigger network, um, you know, there's going to be the people you always stay in touch with, but then there's sort of second and third tier or second and third layers out the people you might see once a year at a conference, or you work with them five years ago. I should mention, these are people you like, these are people mm-hmm. you enjoy. Good. How do you think about staying in touch with and nurturing those kinds of relationships, any habits, practices, philosophies that help you um, stay top of mind and, and keep track of these folks? Sure, sure. Well, you know me, like I, I love LinkedIn is really the platform that I really choose to be on. And so I think top of mind is it is it's it's just touching base with people. It's having a list of, hey, I haven't seen that person in a while, I will send them a message, and or a funny meme or something that reminds me of them. Um, It's having a I mean, we always talk about having a good CRM, like making sure that you're very organized and detailed as to who you're meeting and writing little notes so that it jogs your memory. Like that person has a dog and that person loves chocolate. And, you know, I remember the city manager of Scottsdale, uh, he actually sat on one of my success over struggle panels and he loves his chocolate. Like he showed me pictures of just all these chocolate bars and M&Ms and everything. And every time I'd see him, I'd bring in more chocolate, you know, and, and, and every time I'd see a great chocolate picture, I'd send him a chocolate picture, you know, like just, that's what you do. It's little things. The littlest things really make big impact. And I always like to tell people that. What CRM are you using to keep track of all of this? I have a couple, but I really, since I love video so much, you know, um, I started using Dub. Dub. And I love that tool because I can make it a little more personalized. People can watch it. They can actually part, memoji it, you know, when they get it. Um, but I like Dub. I also use High Level for a couple of different things. Like there's so many CRMs out there, but I so heard- you're, you're putting yeah. their information into the system and then you're able to create videos out of it is what you're saying? Yeah, I can. I can. So if I wanted to send you a message, Robbie, just to you, only you, I could send a video message and I would know when you saw it, once you got it, you know, you could actually send me a video message back. But I'll just be honest, like I send video messages just off of my iPhone and people are just like, thank you so much for taking the 15 seconds, you know, like they really do appreciate that. Yeah, sometimes over over complicating it could make it like Mm -hmm. harder to actually move forward. Sometimes the simplest thing is, you know, taking action with the phone that you have in your hand. I love that. Yeah, yeah. So last question for you, Uh uh, one of my favorite you and I are going to keep staying in touch. I can just imagine lots of ways we're going to keep doing that. And I have actually ideas of who I want to introduce you to when we get off air, I will sell, tell you more about that. So it's a year from now. Mm-hmm. And I say, Oh my gosh, Tish Marie, this has been a year since I interviewed you. I want to know what we're going to be celebrating a year from now. What are we going to be toasting that you're, you've succeeded in doing? What are you most looking forward to? So, um, you know, since this is also a podcast and we talked about leadership, I just announced that I took on a new role. I got my real estate license during uh, COVID because it was my reset. And now I actually 
my obstacle was I didn't want to do my own personal branding. And now I actually help people with personal branding, if you can believe it. (laughs) And I help realtors. And my broker yesterday asked me, do you want to create a team? And I remember just actually asked me this a while back. And for just months, I was like, no, 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 no. I don't want to lead a team. I'm not a qualified realtor. I'm not this. Like every excuse I had in the book until a friend reminded me of the gifts that I have that I could share with people, that I could always find someone to teach real estate, that I could teach them business and practices and lessons and all of these things. And so I made this big decision to start a team and lead. And I mean, on LinkedIn, the post is going crazy because people are like, you were the best leader. Like people are even Bob Berg, our good friend, Bob Berg was like, you know, anyone that gets to learn from you as their leader, it's, you know, it's a blessing to them. So I just, I, I was like, I'm speechless. Thank you so much for that. So a year from now, I've grown that team. I've impacted even more lives. I've helped them to become successful because another thing about a leader, it's not about the money and it's not about me. It's about you. And how do I serve you? I've always said, it's always about the impact. It's always about the people. And so I really feel like that's where I'm headed My broker saw that in me and actually gave me a pretty amazing opportunity to help him do that, to get in front of more people, to build this group. And I, I just know, like, I just know in my heart that there's so much growth opportunity and so many more lives they get to touch. It's amazing. It's amazing. And a great reset in the middle of the pandemic. I can't wait Mm -hmm. to celebrate all that with you. How can people find you. you and follow your work? Sure. So I have a couple of different sites. Of course, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm just at Tisha Marie Pelletier. And then my two companies, TishaMarieEnterprises.com is a great website with just has everything that I do from speaking to hosting Social Connect um, and personal branding and such. And then my other company, my real estate company is PropertyWithPersonality.com. And I love that I, that name was available because <laughs> I feel like that speaks to exactly what I'm doing and helping realtors be better with branding and really focusing on, it's not the house they're trying to sell. It's the person that is selling the house that they want to work with. Like I'm really trying to change the dynamic and the thinking. Brilliant. That, that as an industry, I think realtors need some support around this. So yes. I know that you're going to be helping them. I can't wait to follow your trajectory and keep keep an eye on all your LinkedIn posts. Thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. Thank you, Robbie. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Tisha Marie. What is your key takeaway? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at On The Schmooze. Look for episode 299. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as all the archived episodes reach out and let me know which are your favorite interviews. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with that one friend you know would love to hear it. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance, and I look forward to having you join us again next week when I'll be interviewed for episode 300 by my friend Blake Fly. We're going to talk about all kinds of things, a bit of a time capsule episode. Definitely tune in. And until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. 
This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.